Hey, Carl here. Let's talk growing pains. You hit the market with a cool new technology. Everyone's excited. You're changing the game. Then you get that first big customer, and another, and another, and your tech infrastructure starts to shake under the weight. There's a better way. Oracle for Startups is Enterprise Cloud at 70% off for two years, so you can build for the future right from the start. And with decades supporting the industry's most intensive workloads, it's not going to break as you scale. Check it out at oracle.com slash goto slash netrocks. Hey, Techorama. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Paula Yanushkovich is here, and we're going to talk to her in just a minute. Um, but I just want to tell everybody, you know, hey, look at this. I know they can't do oh, show this on radio. You got but your I, vaccine badge. I got my second vaccine hours ago, and there's no... There's <laughs> 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 no side effects. <laughs> you, so now, far. of course... Because you had it in like February of last year. Yeah, right? March, April, March somewhere or in February, there. something like that. Yeah. And then you, and I, I was immediately concerned that when you got your first dose, like you'd have a strong reaction. But did you have nothing? Like uh, the nothing first dose, no, first no reaction. Yeah. But they told me to expect a little lethargy and maybe even flu like symptoms this time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're doing a band video tomorrow night. So I might just have to reschedule. Yeah, let's see how you are, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, you you could go and listen back to some of the .NET Rock shows that we did while I, you know, had COVID, and I yeah. sounded pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. You're getting better. All right, that's cool, man. I'm I'm still waiting on my second one, but it's imminent. Yeah, it's it feels great. And you have two, Paula, as well. I had only one. I'm awaiting the second in like two weeks. Ah, yeah. good, good. It's still enough for you to walk around smugly. So that's the best part. <laughs> that's important. Yeah. I'm waiting for somebody to say, put your mask on. <laughs> I'm kidding. Wear a mask, kids. It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right, Richard, let's get things started with a little thing we call Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right. I found something on GitHub, that, which is becoming my source of all cool things like finding a cool github repo is, is becoming a thing well github really is like the new framework place right like there's it really so much is. fun there yeah yeah so this is github.com slash microsoft slash coyote oh my goodness coyote c-o-y-o-t-e fearless coding for reliable asynchronous software i love that here's a github <laughs> repo that's going to take away my fear of being <laughs> stupid Okay. Let me read you the explanation. Coyote mm -hmm. is a set of libraries and tools for building reliable asynchronous software. It ensures design and code remain in sync, dramatically simplifying the addition of new features. Coyote comes with a systematic testing engine that allows finding and deterministically reproducing hard-to-find safety and liveness bugs. So, as you know, you know, you do concurrent software and uh, you, you're writing code that has a 
possibility that there could be race conditions. Yeah, but transient you can't, behaviors. Yeah, but unless you know the theory and you know how to lock things and all of that stuff, you can't test it because things might fail once in a million times. Yeah, you know, or, and even particular conditions. That's right. right? Like, yeah. I, I, I remember, I've told the story in the show years ago about having deadlocks happening in a database, but only at peak load at like yeah. five o'clock in the afternoon, right? Kind of thing. And so then I put the, the, the monitoring tools on it to actually look at the load of what, see what the deadlock had. And then that altered the timing of the database enough that it stopped deadlocking. Very cool. And so the dev's answer was, well, just leave it on. <laughs> yeah. Like, it produces a gig of log a minute. <laughs> <Right? laughs> like, no, I'm not yeah. going to leave it on, but that's the reality, right? Timing is everything. It's cool. And it's interesting that this is under the Microsoft account. So I wonder if this was, I don't know who. Uh, it's, it's an MSR project originally. It's P sharp. Yeah. Right. It's this actor model, this a, you know, asynchronous dev model that's now evolved a new name. I'm not sure why they called it Coyote though. That's interesting. I'm not either. But what's cool about it is that it'll probably show up in the framework in some, at some point. Yeah. Maybe. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Didn't. Cause it's fearless. That's right. Yeah. Fearless uh, coding. We, we were afraid that one of the neighbor's cats just disappeared and we we're afraid it was a coyote that took it. Coyotes are common around here and they're not popular. They also kill raccoons. So Paula will not be happy about that. Yeah. 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 And we're beginning to get bobcats and stuff down in the suburbs of Connecticut here. We live yeah. abutting, um, uh, on the other hand, bobcats eat squirrels, and those guys need to be tamped down a little. Because oh, squirrels squ are just rats with good PR, man. Like, they could, <laughs> they could stand to be taken out. If you ever, you know, get angry at squirrels and you want to take out your aggression without actually harming them, just go scour YouTube for twirl a squirrel and yeah. squirrel trebuchet. <laughs> squirrel but catapult I've, videos. I, I've had a, back, a bobcat in my backyard snatch a, a squirrel off of a tree branch 12 feet in the air. Like, those cats, they can jump. <laughs> it's well, the business. Yeah, you just don't want them to jump on you. No, they don't like people. They're pretty yeah, shy. I, I, it wasn't, I agree. It wasn't for the wildlife camera, you wouldn't even know they were there. But one day I'm sitting on the back deck and this orange thing sails through the air, snatches the squirrel <laughs> off the branch, and it's really? gone. And I'm like... Well, that was awesome, whatever that was. Wow. It wasn't until I looked at the camera later. I'm like, holy cow, that was a bobcat. Thank you, Mrs. Bobcat. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. All right, dude, that's a great find. Yeah. Yeah, you live against right. the wildlife. These are the consequences. So, that's my Better Know Framework, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 1699, which is back in August of 2020 when we talked to Christos Matskis and John Patrick Davidson, and we were talking security stuff and fit specifically around identity and the Azure AD B2C uh, libraries, which, you know, identity is hard. No two ways about it. But this uh, story is a very positive one. This is John Sidaway's comment. This is from a few months ago. This episode inspired me to try out Azure AD B2C because all the acronyms are good. Yeah. Uh, in the end, it seems like a great alternative to rolling my own authentication and, and authorization implementation in each and every little web app I want to build, but don't intend to leave fully public. Mm. And let's be clear, John, you should never roll your own authentication no. and authorization implementation. Like, A, problem solved. B, inevitably there's going to be issues. You're going to create vulnerabilities. And you know this stuff is going to get deployed some at some point. You're going to get bitten by that. Uh, 
And he goes on to say, I don't even have to attempt to become a security subject matter expert every time I build or update a site. And adding a reference to an existing ADB to C service is incredibly easy in web apps. A couple of lines in your startup CS and a block of config in the app settings, Jason. And I say, in the end, because the documentation is not the best. And this is only a few months ago. So all this effort at the docs at Microsoft still haven't got this well worked out. I'm, I want to inject something here in that yeah, if it. you're trying to do AD, B2C authentication with Blazor projects, go to blazertrain.com and search for it because I did a show with Joel Hewlin. We actually did this in a project that we were writing for a customer. Just finished it, by the way. And, and with the docs problematic? Like it's, yeah. You got I mean, there, some were some, there were some things that we, we couldn't figure out. We had to to do by trial and error. So it's right. a good show and uh, we walk you through all the steps in how to do it. That's awesome. And this is basically what John says. He says, because there's so many use cases that are supported and so many kinds of applications you could build, there are a ton of entry points in these tutorials and some of them still reference the now deprecated Azure AD specific NuGet packages and not that are not consolidated in the Microsoft.identity.web packages, which are now available. Right. Which, they, you know, there is a sin. You're not pulling down videos that reference stuff you don't want people to use anymore. Like, you got to get that stuff out of there. Yeah. You really, you know, get people confused and frustrated. Yep. It's been one and of my pet peeves to, about the internet for, and documentation yeah. is that people don't take irrelevant documents out. Right. But, and, and I'm not worried about the rest of the internet. I'm worried about docs.microsoft. Yeah. Like, those folks should be curating the snot out of this. And for the most part, they are. Uh, I have seen things that say this document is deprecated and with a link to the current thing. Yeah. yeah. That's what you want. And you want it everywhere. And certainly the video content, like if it's referencing mm -hmm. out-of-date packages, take it down. Right. You know, sure, the search engine is still going to find it. But if it gets there and goes, this information is out of date, you know, go somewhere else. Yeah. At least you, you're not misleading people. You're just frustrating them, which the, is the internet. If you're not frustrated, you're not trying hard enough. One problem with YouTube is you can't just replace a YouTube video. No. So if you the YouTube video one. becomes irrelevant, the only thing that you can do is either put something like a banner in the YouTube video yeah. or you can modify the, the description. So yeah, the before abstract. you read something, read the abstract before you watch Smart. a video. Yeah. And John, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the social medias. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Muse to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. You can use your phone, you can use your browser, or you can use a <laughs> squirrel trebuchet. <laughs> you can't use a squirrel trebuchet. Don't. Okay. don't. I tied the note to the squirrel and I sent them flying to you. Uh, all I want to do is make the sound of a squirrel on a trebuchet taking a ride. Ready? That's not the sound they make. You it's know, like, Zach, the, Zach, the dog's getting pretty old, right? Like he, he, he can't see too much, can't hear too much. Like his bear chasing days are over. Yeah. And the squirrels clearly know this because they're hanging out in the yard. I mean, for like, many neener, years. Neener, neener, neener. Yeah. The squirrels came nowhere near us. But wow. the, the other day I'm on the, uh, I'm looking out the back, keeping an eye on the old dog and there's a squirrel on the deck <laughs> while the dog is out. It's like, what is up with you? And what now, are you, you doing? know, Zach can, Zach can't do stairs. So he's, he goes up his ramp, gets on the deck and the squirrel just sort of dips down behind the backside of the deck, hides out. And, it, and Zach, he could smell him. He's sniffing. He gets in the right in the middle of the deck and he lets out one big bark like, you darn kids. 
And then he went inside for a nap because he's an old dog. And that does it for this week's rendition of Dog Stories with Richard Campbell. <laughs> Uh, uh, that brings yes. us to our guest. Of course, Paula's been waiting patiently in the wings, but let me just give her a formal introduction. I'm not going to read your entire bio, Paula, because it's long. Because you've got <laughs> you've a lot of stuff. qualifications and stuff. But uh, Paula Yanushkovich is the IT security auditor and penetration tester, enterprise security MVP and trainer MCT, and Microsoft security trusted advisor. She is also a top speaker at many well-known conferences, including TechEd North America, TechEd Europe, TechEd Middle East, RSA, Tech Days, Cybercrime, and of course, Techorama, and is also often rated as number one speaker. I can't imagine why. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, Paula. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carl, for the great introduction. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely too, uh, happy to see you finally uh, online. Here we go. Right. And uh, I love the conversation about all this Zach stories and all the animals because it's always really funny to hear. So, yeah, thanks. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> and, I, and to be clear, this is Paula's first visit to Donut Rocks. Actually. Wait a minute. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. No, no, this, we've known her for years and years. How is that and possible? She's, she's been on run as seven or eight times. Yeah. <laughs> but this is her first DNR, and uh, really a mistake on our part because her, her security device is untouchable. Over on the run as side, like I need to talk to her every year to kind of keep pace with the state I, of things. Like I know this why ransomware. I thought that because you have told the story, and you know what I mean by the story of the job interview that Paula uh, was on, and she was waiting whoa. in the lobby and said. Excuse me, can I connect to your Wi-Fi so I can check my email? <laughs> and they said, sure, here's a Wi-Fi password. And by the time she got into the interview and they said, okay, what are your credentials? They said, never mind my credentials. Here's all your data. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I may have said once or twice, don't let that lady anywhere near your computer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds... <laughs> Why? I have no idea why. I, I can't imagine. I no, imagine. I've seen you do it on stage with a rubber <laughs> duck. Where right. literally clicked into the USB port on a laptop. I think twenty seconds later, took <laughs> it back out. When you mentioned that, actually, here's the. There it um, is. That's actually the the uh, the next like kind of like a version of this. This is a DigiSpark. Oh, wow. So it allows you to program the full USB functionality, not just like a keyboard for the rubber ducky, but this could be anything you want to. So it's actually, wow. I love it. I mean, kids can program it sincerely because it's that easy. Um, yeah. Wow. So yeah, part it pretty. Do you teach kids how to how to bring down big companies and stuff? That'd be fun. <laughs> Depends who you consider a kid. Paula security <laughs> camp. First thing we're gonna do. <laughs> I was like, "Mama, I cannot look." No, just uh, oh, that would be actually quite fun. Um, but but no, no. Um, it actually rarely happens when kids at their young age they decide they want to do the cybersecurity. They they more want to be IT first. So it's kind of like uh, this this direction. But uh, I do lots of uh, trainings too. And you uh, must be in high demand because there is a huge shortage now, especially now of um cyber security experts at, like the i heard on the news the the estimated need or demand is something like 400,000 new experts that are going to be needed this year just to handle all of the the demand for for them 
Yeah, t- t- totally, Carl. Uh, it, like we've never had so many projects like right now during the pandemic. Uh, sincerely, every week we've got like a couple of incidents happening where the customers yeah. are hacked and, um, our job is to react. So it's a pretty stressful time from like, <laughs> from the cybersecurity perspective. But if it's about amount of work, it's crazy. You are totally working two shifts and that's normal already. That's becoming a new mm-hmm. normal. And, uh, and because the customers are all around the world, you work across many time zones. So whether it's day or night, who would care? There's always a day somewhere. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So first thing you have to do is learn not to sleep. Just <laughs> or drink some coffee or yeah, coffee, your good friend. Um, the, this, this latest uh, Northeast pipeline affected my life directly Gas prices went up. People were hoarding gas, putting it in their cars and plastic bags and exploding. It was crazy. And so I guess the question is, is the antidote to getting, not the antidote, but is the, the prophylaxis for getting ransomware to just not open emails from people you don't trust or click on links in emails? Like, is that, does it, is it that easy? Actually, uh, good that you mentioned that because, um, Phishing being like right now during the pandemic's number one mean of transportation for malware is yeah. definitely the thing. Um, but it's easy to also uh, prevent that because there are uh, service reduction rules that you can implement in Windows. So companies can fix it easily for free. But th- the problem is uh, as well in other places. For example, uh, the customer that I've been visiting in not really long time ago uh, in Germany, they had a problem with a point of entry of a contractor's account. So what happened is that uh, contractors were using the privilege account in their organization and something happened apparently in their infrastructure or we don't really know what happened. Mm. But then uh, they actually brought ransomware to the really big factories all around the world organization and they encrypted almost 100% of their data. So uh, we've been actually traveling uh, to Germany with all the restrictions um, being canceled from the different like government uh, units in Germany because uh, you couldn't really travel there. Uh, that was that time. But apparently you can when there is a high state of emergency for various businesses. And uh, we actually helped this customer to um, stand up. So that that's was amazing. quite fun. <laughs> so it, it occurs to me that a lot of the ransomware, what it does is it activates the operating system's own encryption features to encrypt the, your entire disk with a password. So isn't the uh, solution just to take that feature out of Windows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I noticed my tongue firmly pointed mm. in my cheek here. I mean, it, that it's a, it's a feature. Right, you know, and it might even be good if they used that feature. Didn't I was just reading about the colonial attack, the one that affected you, Carl? Yeah. A, I mean, it went on for a week, right? And they paid. They paid like they paid. five million dollars. Yeah. And the decryption keys didn't work properly. They didn't recover all the data. I also heard that the guys they they caught the guys that did it, and they were like, "Oh, sorry, we 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 didn't know that it was going to be that bad." <laughs> The same story with that customer, by the way, they paid a couple of hundred thousand euros and they send hackers, send them the crypto that work only for like 85% of data. Wow. So, and and the advice from the FBI was don't pay because it doesn't, doesn't work. Like you're not going to get everything back. 
in their case, yeah, totally. But um, if you don't have a proper backup and so on, then maybe you you should risk it. I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing to do, but sometimes companies, they don't have choice. Is right. there something that you can do? And now I'm just talking Windows because that's what I use. I'm not a Mac or Linux guy. Is there something that you can do in Windows to... Um, I mean, anytime that an elevation of privilege happens in Windows, a little box pops up and says, do you want to allow this? Yes. You know, if you have administrator privilege, you can allow it. Is there any way that is that get bypassed in this ran- these ransomware attacks? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there are ways to bypass UAC. And plus, for the ransomware, you can be only a user because uh, you just need to have access to data. So right access. That's it. Yeah. Right. So basically, oh um, like if someone is the case of another customer managing the documents, the file server overall for traders in a financial organization, that was actually a person who uh, had an email. Hey, someone left you a voice message on a Dropbox, and that person opened it because that's the way how people communicate. And eventually, um, eventually that got uh, to the file server and encrypted all the documents for the traders. So they had a couple of hours of stopping operation. And imagine that in a trading company where you've got certain yeah, slots like this, this was millions. Is this something that Microsoft could fix? I mean, it's obviously a vulnerability in Windows, right? Uh, vulnerability, um, I would say... Uh, the platform is allowing you to not to implement everything at first, but uh, th- th- so, so it's not like a completely closed box. But of course, there are built-in solutions that are even free, like attack service reduction rules, where you are able mm-hmm. to configure that. For example, if you get a phishing email, you've got an attachment, Excel spreadsheet, let's say with macro. So of course, it creates a child process. And like normally... That's not that's an that's an anomaly. So um, so this would be blocked, and a couple of other behaviors. Also, um, you've got application control, so someone can implement it. But you've got a choice. You don't have to use the Microsoft product. You can pay and use something else because, in someone's opinion, that could provide better management. So at the end, the solutions are there. It's that companies maybe don't know, or whatever the reason is, they don't use it. Well, we can dig into some of those more smarter tools, but in theory, these guys had backups. Like, why didn't the backups work? At first, right? Yeah. Right. So, so, so for that company, uh, that German uh, company um, that I was mentioning, so they actually gathered information from their papers from uh, 1965. And from mm-hmm. that, they put everything into the SQL database to like allow them to work with some statistics. So that database wasn't backed up because as they said, some specification of whatever, some, some specifics, it was hard really to get the answer, but okay, we don't worry about that. We just try to fix it, try to recover it. But if you got like such a huge, important, critical asset in a company, why this is not managed? And, uh, I've seen different situations, but I think it's easy to conclude one thing that even for the best, this weak points happen. Right. Yeah. Inevitably. I mean, it's also speak to this idea of why did they have all those right privileges? Like, it's not actually necessary. We, especially when we talk about archival data. Like, why isn't that read only? You should never modify that. And so it, on, right? What if, what if you just turn off encryption? Because you can do that. 
Oh, you mean like to block completely the access to API? Like the yeah, API? Let's say, you're, let's say you're not encrypting any of your, you're not using BitLocker and you're not encrypting any of your file folders, at, you know, on your computer. Turn it off, right? Because if it's off, nobody can exploit it, right? Mm, but you could use your own algorithm. So yeah. then you will not use the Windows API for the encryption. And then... Uh, it's even better because it's 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 not AS, but it will be the encoding or whatever way that it's right. still hard to reverse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the bottom line is, you allow executing code to run on a machine at privilege. It can do whatever it wants. It, it could, could probably be turn many drives. On. Yeah. Well, it also deleted files. Like, there's all kinds of havoc that can be wreaked. Uh, yeah. The real issue here, and this is again gets very much into the IT conversation of this, is. People don't need that level of privilege, but it's the default. So often we're running on these default privileges, which is what the black hats count on, that we haven't locked down our machines properly. Yeah. Plus, they're allowed to run software that they don't know quite often. So yes. at at first moment, they can run various PowerShell scripts because ransomware right now also appears in PowerShell. And um, that's also pretty cool. Why not to run an open script and encrypt our data? That's why it's so hard to block it. But on the other hand, you can have the constraint language in PowerShell and so on. So there, for every problem, there is an answer, actually. So right. we, mm -hmm. we live in really good times for implementing good state of security. It's just that companies are like starting that, that trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as Carl pointed out earlier, there's not enough skilled people. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with this every day because when we try to um, expand the team, uh, I want to hire people, for example, in my team. So hard. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. Like every single time we do some recruitment process and so on, it's really hard. Like Because it's also, there's no standard, I would say. Right. So, if is it, would you feel comfortable training somebody who is, you know, comfortable in IT and comfortable with development, understand systems, training them and what they need to know to become a cybersecurity expert so they could cash in on these uh, government contracts that are apparently headed our way. Uh, is that is that all the background somebody needs to understand what's going on today? Very, very good question. And I prefer to do it this way, by the way. And I actually, we do it this way. So we hire someone with a good approach. And the background, to me, there are two requirements. Mm. One would be Good IT skills, but yeah, this can, this can always get better. Yeah, because technology changes. So right. you spend more time on it. You educate yourself. It's fine. Yeah. But what's the most important thing is that you need to be hyperactive, meaning mm. you need to want to know more every single day. Yeah. And you need to be not afraid to say that you don't know because in cybersecurity, it's easy to not to know things. Yeah, right. Coasting is going downhill. So, yeah, don't just think, <laughs> all right, I set up my firewall, I'm good. It's like, a, just set up your firewall, you're fine. Yeah. And, and folks, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. So, have you ever browsed in incognito mode? Well, think about this. In incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product. And Google has made a fortune by tracking your movements online. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against the company in California where they accused it of secretly collecting user data. And Google's defense is incognito does not mean invisible. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? ExpressVPN. 
Turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked, and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data. One of these data points is your IP address, which data harvesters use to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, and your IP address is masked. That makes it really hard for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use. No matter what device you're using, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com .net and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T, expressvpn.com slash .net. And we're back. It's .net Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hi. And we're talking to our friend Paula J, who we first met in, like, Barcelona? Oh, uh, it was a speaker idol. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Is that she how you broke idol, in? But that was the quiz that was that Richard was um, doing. Yeah, yeah we were even both before Speaker Idol, we did that. Remember, we used to do the game show quiz. We were giving away swag. Yeah, and she was a contestant on the game show, and I asked her a question about DOS from before she was born. When the DOS was created? Oh wow, <laughs> or something like that. And it was like was version like, three. I wasn't it's born. Nineteen eighties. I, I was born. born yet. But you also did. You also did Speaker <laughs> Idol. She did do Speaker Idol, and I remember yeah. that. Is that how you broke into TechEd? Uh, yeah, pretty much. That was in Los Angeles, right? That was the first time on the stage. Yeah. Like, a, remember that, Richard? That was funny. Uh, well, the the famous thing about Paula J is she never won Speaker Idol. Yeah, she came in second. More than she came in second in Europe first, Barcelona, and but didn't and didn't get a speaking gig. Yeah, and then uh, although ultimately she did, and then competed in U.S., which was you know completely legit. The only rules you hadn't spoken at, at, at Tech Ed, and you hadn't, and came in second again. And that was that one we did in L.A. where we were in it. They didn't do the that was like 2008 where they didn't do the attendee party, so we were part of the attendee party. And Rasinovich was one of the was one of the that's uh, right one of the judges uh, the judges yeah I re I got to back up a little bit and just tell people what Speaker Idol is because I don't think they do it anymore um, mm -hmm. at Tech Ed they used to hire Richard and me to do to to run this show like Pop Idol in the UK or American Idol in the US you get five minutes to do a presentation and you have judges and so they they're judging you on obviously your your approach your mannerisms how how you know how much they're they're paying attention uh, your presentation style your content you know how many ums per second you say <laughs> that kind of stuff and uh, they were recording it so that uh, the the people who were picking speakers for tech ed would review this stuff and say hey that person's pretty good or we ought to Get that person as a speaker. And even if you didn't win as testament with, with Paula, um, they, they saw her and said, ah, we have to, uh, we have to have her in here. I remember very clearly at the end of that speaker idol in LA, the head of tech ed Europe who knew me, knew us, you know, came to me and said, who is that young woman? She needs to be speaking at the show. <laughs> right. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. That was so much yeah. fun. So they should bring that, that back. That was a long time ago. Write your congressman, yeah, kids. Should. 
it's it's an it's an interesting thing. Well, you know, we sort of the rules. Like, listen, I, I got pretty good taste in speakers, right? Like, I did all the co- the content selection right. there, and and fairly consistently, you know, if you made down to speaker idol, you were going to get a slot tech head sooner or later. Some, the winner guaranteed one, but some other know. people, other people who came through speaker idol, Jeff Fritz, yeah, David Giard. Mm-hmm. Who else am I thinking? Who am I missing here? Pete Calvert. Oh, oh, was there a Pete, Pete from Australia? Pete Calvert. Yeah, Pete Calvert. Bart Dismet. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's the thing is when you got to that top four in Speaker Idol, they were all astonishingly good speakers. And a five-minute talk is one of the hardest things you can do. Like an hour is easy in comparison. Yeah. You know, like it's very tough to put together a crisp five minutes that communicates effectively. And I remember it's, a, it's really quite a tough Bart Desmet was in Barcelona and he was a wild card. In other words, he just came up while we were doing it and said, I can do yeah. a presentation. And it was all code. And it was he all console for five minutes. App, and he just typed for five minutes and he nailed it. And he ended up winning. Yeah. Well, it's also, that's, it's sort of a flying close to the sun kind of thing. Like, yeah. if it works, you'll be fine. And if it doesn't, <laughs> you know, uh. you are going to crash and burn. You know, the other one I was thinking of was Rhonda Layfield. Oh, yeah. You know Rhonda Layfield, yeah, sure. the queen of deployment. Yeah. And she also, uh, she won TechEd in the US. Yep. And then applied to TechEd Europe. Mm. Saying, hey, I've just won tech, you know, I'm going to be speaking at tech and got declined. Yeah. And so then reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going, you know, I couldn't pay your way to tech at, right? Like I, I didn't have any, we didn't have any budget for that. You had to go to tech at anyway. And this is one of the things I found in common with all of the successful contestants on, on speaker auto was they were so dedicated to the craft that even when, they didn't get a speaking slot and a, essentially a ride to tech ed. Yeah. They would volunteer and pay their own way right. and be there anyway. Mm. And, and and like Paula, Rhonda did the same thing and then came on Speaker Idol and, uh, and was killing it because she's amazing. Yeah. And the organizers in Europe came at me and said, listen, She's a ringer. Like you shouldn't have her in, in, in Speaker Idol. This is wrong. And I'm like, she's never. She follows follows the qualifications. Anyway, it gets escalated. I'm sitting in the room with the head of TechEd Europe and and these folks and the, and the, you know the track chair is complaining like this person's a ringer. They shouldn't be in the contest. And the and the overall honor says, well, if she's that good, why is why didn't you speak her to peak? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then she won Speaker Idol in Europe as well. <laughs> so. All right, let's. Maybe we should get back to Let's ransomware. Get back to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've and we've done a half a dozen shows on on Runes about this as well. The last one is called uh, "How Black Hats Profit hmm. from uh, from This Whole Thing," and it clearly this seems to be true, right? Like people are paying these ransoms even if they botch it. So this is a profitable enterprise. Yeah. Like, how? What do we got to do to stop that part? Well, you know, it's it's really hard because it starts with the attack eventually. And when these ones are on the increase, uh, then basically people in general will pay. So what would be important, I think, to stop it, if, if we uh, look at it from the bigger picture perspective, would educate people more on cybersecurity so they don't become victims of that mm-hmm. so that they don't have to pay in order to recover their data. And uh, on average, by the way, within stats, uh, hacker for the successful ransomware campaign 
earns like $90,000 uh, $90, monthly. So it's a pretty good salary to have per month. Oh, um, God, yeah. So that's from, for many people, that's quite tempting to. And if you're listening to this and you're an evil person, shh, don't say that. Jeez. <laughs> don't give them ideas. <laughs> Wow. But, I mean, in the case of this colonial attack, clearly the FBI is on them. They've been caught. Their payment systems have been rolled up. Like, their world's ending yeah. now. Like, things are going to get much harder for them. And I, I did another show with uh, our friend Sammy Leho, uh, Paula, talking about the Vastamo attack, which is one of the most horrible things I've ever heard, that ransomware folks went after a mental health care facility tried to ransom the facility, and when they wouldn't pay, then ransomed the individual patients with a threat to release their private therapy data. Oh, my God. And apparently that was too far for the Black Hats, too, because ultimately they've turned that guy in. Like, there's a line, even in these this scumbag category. But there was wow. also the case with the hospital in Los Angeles, right? So that was one of mm -hmm. the first big ransomware cases where um, they were requesting like $3 million or something. And then eventually the hospital negotiated down uh, the amount of money to pay, but they paid. So um, yeah. that, was, that was one of the first ones that people started to wonder whether like it's going to affect people people's lives yeah because okay someone's mm. data well we can live with this but hospital it's a little bit too much well especially during the pandemic like what kind of scumbag are you to attack hospitals when they're at their absolute limits trying to keep people alive right like, it's pretty horrible stuff like you know what does your mother say about this exactly my daughter has a word for it. it's douchebaggery yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. It's probably the same ones who don't believe that COVID exists and all that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Long story. That's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is the, the, the place that we're at, right? Is that we've now got a category of hacking. You know, once upon a time, this was sort of like college kids on a lark create a worm that gets out of control. And that's a little embarrassing. And we clean it up and so forth. Right. Now it's turned into an industry. And by the way, also state actors like... Once upon a time, we danced around where this was coming from, but um, you got the Hafnium exploit from earlier this year that they simply stated is a Chinese acting group. And this colonial attack, which is at point blank, is Russia. So we're not even hiding the fact that there are states out there that are funding folks to attack uh, different entities. Paula, do you have any resources that people can go to to uh, learn how to protect themselves from ransomware? Actually, I do have a pretty good resource on the incident response. So how to collect data, how to help ourselves uh, when that problem happens and so on. And that's actually a GitHub resource. And uh, that's uh, if we search for the GitHub and awesome incident response, there is actually um, the resource from Meruwa. And then eventually you can see like really good books, tools, and so on. It's a good repository of things scattered in one place. Is it mostly concentrated on what to do after it happens and not to prevent it before? Yeah, that's that's actually more focusing on the uh, digital forensics, yes. And so after it right. happens, what to do and so on. But how to prevent? Well, depends really what kind of possibilities we got because we might be working in the small, medium size of a company and not to be able to implement, for example, a blocker and all that stuff. But in general, 
the, the idea it's quite simple. Uh, anything whitelisting, anything on preventing running the code that we don't know, uh, attack surface reduction rules, as I was mentioning, exploit guard being enabled right. is, in Windows 10. So he, Is there a place where we can learn about all those things that you just mentioned? Uh, I know it's your business to, to consult with uh, people about uh, that. Totally. I'm happy to share. Well, uh, well, of course, we could send to our blog, which is secureacademy.com slash blog, where we actually post videos how to um, perform not only hacking, but also securing for various Great. various things. Uh, but in general, the solutions that I mentioned are are building in a platform, so in a Windows. So Docs, I think, would be the best reference uh, over okay. here where you've got a perfect um, step-by-step Im- implementation of application control and so on. And uh, yeah. it's, it's a okay. really good resource on this one. Great. That's good. And, and it's the thing is, it's not like there isn't tools. It's just that people aren't putting the well, time Well, people in don't know about them. Like, you know, some of these things that you rattle off, I've never even heard of before. And I'd like to, I'd like to go through a checklist and make sure that I'm not doing anything stupid here in my For example, my attack surface reduction rules is just one PowerShell command line. So, really? implement, yeah, implementation of that is so easy. And then you just add some more rules to that. And by, by saying rules, you just give an identifier of a rule that is already built in, in Windows. So, there's nothing you have to implement. You just need to run that command across workstations and servers. So, it's wow. that easy. It's just that, I don't know, it just, it's just not there. <laughs> but why is it on by default is the question. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a fan of that, by the way. So, I would think it yeah. should be. Like, for example... Uh, the possibility to use NetBIOS should be also turned off by default. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. You know, getting to the point, which is when you run those tools, you are removing privileges, right? Like you're cutting, you're cutting back uh, the default set of rights and you will, can and will run into issues where stuff won't run anymore, where you're going to bump into a a place where you're going to need to be able to raise privilege on that particular Mm. thing. I mean, I'm hoping nobody's counting on NetBIOS anymore, please. But if you run that script and, and shut down NetBIOS and you've got some piece of software that's still counting on NetBIOS, it's going to break. Yeah, that's true. Hey, Paula, any other tools you think we should be looking at? Well, for sure. Um, th- there is a repository that many organizations, like, for example, DoD, are publishing um, for recommendation how to secure your server slash workstation for a certain purpose. So, um, overall... That's Department of Defense? Like DOD. US- yeah, yeah, wow. USA yeah. DoD. Mm-hmm. Okay. And basically, um, there is also the Aaron Margoz's uh, set of scripts for the... It's called Aaron Locker for or uh, like an app locker boost and so on. So there are plenty mm-hmm. of good tools that are um, at the end performing um, one one thing, limiting uh, amount of things that you can run and how you can run them. Right. Right. Are Azure VMs as vulnerable as your regular desktop on Windows? They will be because eventually it's the same operating system. And if we make it available to be, to be accessible from the inside of their, our infrastructure, then it doesn't really matter whether it's in the cloud or on-prem. I see. So just because you have a VM in the cloud doesn't mean it's any more secure than uh, just a regular desktop in your network that has a, a login. Hmm. Although I, w- I would say when you look at stuff like, like Azure Security Center, 
again, if you do some of the settings, which are very much checkboxes, like they're good at picking up things like, hey, you see this VM mm. that normally writes to one file a day? Yeah. Well, it's writing to every file in this file store every few seconds. So I'm just going to c- shut that off for now and ask you about that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I wish all error messages were like you could <laughs> like recite them and I would just hear yeah. your voice. It'd be so soothing. Hey, you know what? <laughs> hey, yeah. I, I see this thing. I, you know, I used to write error messages like that. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, got some news. I don't think you're going to like you're it. I don't think you're going to like this news. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to sit This sad down. thing has happened. Yeah, we're not quite sure how this is going to work out. So I'll tell you what. Go make yourself a cup of tea. Come, Come back. back. I'm going to give you three buttons here. Abort, retry, continue. Probably none of them are going to work, but you should try one. <laughs> and then if everything blows up and goes away, well, at least you have a cup of tea and we can start over again. And if nothing, none of that works, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I may explode and abruptly go, but don't worry. I'm waving as I go because I miss you. <laughs> this is your retirement project. Try- yeah, so I'm just going to write error messages for the rest of my life. I, think I, I like them. everything about this. Yeah, yeah. So just we'll voice them for you too. You know, the, and there is good intrusion software out oh. there, right? Like the we are starting to learn to watch network behaviors. It is very anomalous for our workstation to suddenly start writing into file areas it's never written right. into before. Right. And so you know when IT folks deploy these tools, and by the way, far from free, like and not even cheap, like but. They can really stop things like this. I mean, it, are we going to learn anything if we just put FileMon in a monitor up on a, you know, and just watch it? And if it starts going crazy, then we might want to take a look. I mean, do, does anybody do that? Paula, do you do that? Uh, well, I, I run Sysmon uh, with uh, their configuration file that um, tells you pr- pretty pretty a lot. And Sysmon yeah. actually allows you to um, monitor that. Plus, if yeah. uh, we use Azure Sentinel, we can subscribe to the Sysmon log and then have that somewhere out there. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's actually not that bad idea, but uh, mm-hmm. good to uh, watch for sure. <laughs> yeah, and and certainly all the list of links from this show are are things you can take a look at right there are many many options to do better yeah that's it's scary world out there yeah no question hey but there is a part of this you know thinking from the developer side you know because clearly we've had really an it-centric conversation here uh in a lot of respects don't roll your own authentication strategies like you know beyond phishing just like what's breachable (laughs) like you're you're gonna make it easier for the bad guys Mm. or harder Mm. So, so the whole concept of implementing and rolling out things quickly, uh, that from mm-hmm. the security perspective, it's a brilliant, brilliant quote, quote, of course, because uh, there has been so many situations with an ad where it appeared to be bad. For example, we've been testing the mobile application for, uh, that's actually quite um, juicy. So from the bank a very modern bank mm-hmm. and so on, and they wanted to roll out new app. And uh, and it was like, even by the communication in the emails, they were like super in hurry. So we were like, oh, come on, there is a project date coming. They're like, no, no, we need three more days to fix it, three more days to do that, three more days. So you could you could feel the rush from their side. And we're like, right. yes, yes, it's going to be an interesting project. Yeah. So when the app finally got rolled out, uh, one of the first vulnerabilities was that we were able to actually actually log in to the someone's potential customer account and uh, we were able to um, 
make the money transfers in a way so that we were like they were like a, mm, we could transfer it to ourselves virtually so we could eventually increase our amount of money on the account to the whatever millions mm. so there was like, like many logical problems with this app and then we ended up with uh having quite a lot of money that was virtual uh it was a cheat but it was of course a pen test um that potentially hackers slash customers uh, could do so uh this is what i was wondering about uh, could you do use some magical feature in your bank app to triple your income or something yeah just make money out <laughs> so of just nothing. make money so this was actually possible and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know we tend to think of security as an afterthought like something we add to the application at the end I mean, is that unavoidable you know do you get pulled into projects where they're like okay now we have to secure this app better what can we do yeah yeah so so when there's like a first uh rollout then um like depends really on the approach right but uh Mm -hmm. sometimes the app we we, like tested regularly within the project for example certain modules um or the final release and then they only fix things that were found out within the final release and we don't really see what's in the code because we don't look at the code we look at the stuff from the outside so there might be a bigger mess because for the pen test there is always a limited time that you got yeah. And that's always what actually makes me think because how much time hackers will be able to spend on these apps, on the banking apps, probably a lot. I know that they have to eat and survive, mm-hmm. but why not spending an hour, two hours per day for the next six months to try to figure out the problem? So it, all these pen tests are about minimizing the risk, not about fixing the problem. Right. Yeah. And and not actually addressing the key issue. and. It, but you, we've mostly talked about attacks that were against specific entities for the entity, like going after banking, you know, because that's the old Dillinger line. That's where the money <laughs> is. Uh, or going after hospitals during the pandemic because they're under crisis and are likely to pay. Like, but and I got to think there's some folks listening go, so, well, what I'm working on is just not that important. Nobody's going to target me. No, that's not true. Everybody's got some dollars to share. Mm-hmm. So, um, so. Uploader that ransomware could uh, could attack everybody, and if someone uh, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but eventually, if someone like for someone five hundred dollars for survival, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Then if you target hundred thousand people, regular people that work at home or whatever, then basically it will be enough for that person. So it don't have it doesn't have to be ninety thousand dollars. It could be five hundred, and uh, that might be you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, very possible. And the other part I've realized with the backups is sometimes these ransomware guys are smart enough that they encrypt the backups too. Like you've got to make sure you've got an air gap between your backups and your primary system. Yeah. So backup management system, absolutely important. That's actually not the trivial case. There are third party solutions that are actually allowing you to store backups in the way that is like almost storing the certificates, the, uh, the root CA certificate in the organization so yeah. that you have to access it only by two out of five people and that kind of stuff. So, um, a lo- longer process, but eventually backup, ba- backup when managed, uh, can be, can be managed really nicely and in a really advanced way. Yeah. Although they, you're still going to end up doing the math that says, how long does it take to recover from a backup and how much data are we going to lose? 
to and say suddenly the ransom is reasonable if it avoids us having to do all of that work. Yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, interesting balancing act between those things as to what makes sense uh, economically. How is Grandma Franklin ever going to protect herself from ransomware? Oh, Grandma Franklin uh, needs to visit only websites that um, that she trusts. Oh boy! And there's the problem right there. <laughs> and you, you, you can implement some control, also the uh, things like AppLocker and so on, so that she cannot run the stuff that she doesn't know, even by not knowing that she's doing this. Right. So similar, actually, to the enterprise at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Microsoft keeps threatening to make a secure version of Windows, like the Windows X and so forth, that the defaults to the whitelist model to not allowing foreign software to run automatically. Mm. But they never seem to ship it. And I think it's just people Push expect back. everything always to work. Yeah. Yeah, the customer doesn't want it. That's an in- it's an interesting route. And at the same time, they go and say, "Hey, I'll get a Pixel Book, right? Or you know, a Chrome machine. Right. I don't have those problems because it doesn't run anything, right? Uh, and same for iPad back in the day. I don't think it's true for iPad anymore. That there's now there are attackers going after iPads and and uh, as an attack vector too, right? Because it's popular, right? But as long as you're running the popular infrastructure, you're going to run into the because you're popular, you're going to be attacked. That's right. Absolutely. So platform mm. today doesn't matter. Of course, there are some m- more stats indicating that that's Windows, of course, because it's more used within the enterprises and so on. But absolutely, mm-hmm. any operating system here nowadays is a target. Does any of Windows historical APIs uh, that they keep around for backward compatibility pose a threat or pose an attack vector now that uh, people may not be aware of? Hmm, I wonder what that would be. Just so much. I mean, the NetBuoy thing and NetBIOS thing certainly run. SMB1. Oh, for sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, and there's a reason SMB1 is still on. Like today, you can still go to a a Best Buy and buy a piece of network gear that depends on SMB1. And if you have SMB1 turned off, which is a brutally old protocol, incredibly vulnerable, literally insecurable, but that device won't work unless it's on. And it's on by default? And it's, it is on by default, unless you run the lockdown script, which will turn it off. Oh, boy. But the funny p- part about that uh, is that you've got also uh, solutions that are currently allowed in the infrastructure that are with that problem. So it doesn't have to be from the past. You've got Antenna version 2, which is an authentication protocol that's in line with Kerberos. And that has a big deal because it's vulnerable to the relay attacks. Kerberos as well. You can do curb roasting attack where you request for the ticket and then you try to crack it. So it's, it's, it's completely like not dependent on time. You can crack it for the next whatever couple of weeks and then you come back and then you perform the attack. So things like that. Uh, it's it's quite a lot and you've got a tabular data stream communication protocol in SQL Server that runs in a clear text and nobody really turns on encryption on the database servers so plenty of things like this nowadays we don't even have to look into the past so uh, you just connect to the infrastructure and then you see the problems immediately does this um, lockdown PowerShell script check to see if there are any applications that are using these services and tell you, hey, you, you have some dependencies on these services. You sure you want to dis, uh, disable them? Rather, I would say like um, configuration slash vulnerability management assessment systems, something like that. But the thing is that these misconfigurations that uh, we are mentioning here, yeah. uh, th- this is not really considered vulnerability. It's more of a like thing that's running out there. Like 
like NetBIOS, okay, we clearly said it, it is a problem, yeah. Uh, but again, it's a it's a misconfiguration rather than vulnerability eventually. Sure. And will this system tell you like, hey, you're using NetBIOS? Maybe you want to use NetBIOS. So like the same for Antivirus version two, you you have to use it actually when you're authenticating using local accounts across the other like machine. So there's no other choice. You have to use it. So therefore, yeah, yeah. it cannot be considered um, vul vulnerability. So sometimes it's hard to spot these misconfigurations because they're very uh, dependent on things. So it's like when you connect the dots, this is when it becomes a problem. But when it's like working as a single thing, it doesn't. So NTM version 2 could be um, help with a little bit with the SMB being signed. So if the SMB was digitally signed, mm. you will not be able to do the relay attack that easily. And so on. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's pushes to fix all these things. Our friend Ned Pyle has been maintaining the SMB1 clearinghouse for forever, where he's essentially shaming vendors, saying these guys still depend on SMB1. And bit by bit, some of them are actually starting to retire it. But, you know, the vendor also pushes back. And so, like, my customer doesn't care. Right. It's like your customer is going to care if they get exploited and then it's too late. And yeah. it's literally a recompile, kids. Like, just run the SMB3 library. It ain't rocket science. Wow. So much to think about. Well, Paula, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks. It's a lot to think about. And uh, I'm going to take a look at those resources that you mentioned. We're going to have those in the show notes. At, uh, yeah, lots of links in the show notes. And that'll be at .netrocks.com on the 3rd of June. Show 1742, Debugging Ransomware and Other Stories with Paula Janishkiewicz. Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, Janishkiewicz. Yeah. yeah, okay. Thanks, Paula. And we'll see you again next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...